Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, Bud, this will predominantly serve as a Wake Force preview. Uh, we'll also do our best to uh, get to some, if not all, of the uh, uh, runover questions that we weren't able to uh, get to in what ended up being a rather thorough mailbag episode from uh, from our previous conversation. So, as always, thank you to our friends from Louisiana Hot Sauce, uh, fantastic partners for us, great leadership provided and been able to allow us to grow the podcast and, and take it in a direction uh, that is something we've long wanted. So thank you to them. Thank you to the listeners for the unwavering support that you've given them over the uh, three years that we've partnered together. And as always, want to uh, start a podcast by mentioning our appreciation for our title sponsor. That's right, man. Louisiana Hot Sauce is a awesome sponsor for us. Great product. I use it really daily. I, I just got another bottle the other day from my local Publix. You can get it uh, really wherever groceries are sold especially if you are in our footprint which is the southeast and we appreciate them sponsoring us especially as we talk about this very exciting game against wake forest spicing it up with a little bit of wake talk tonight what do the people know about wake what, what, what do you think they know anything about wake not particularly no I, I think that people probably feel slightly more comfortable about this game than maybe if we took a straw poll immediately after the stanford game sanford game but i don't know that people know a ton about uh just the general kind of sidewalk fan knows a ton about wake forest well that's why we do these previews then i mean obviously i don't think anybody is super excited about the wake game but we are we, we are excited to, to let the fans know kind of what uh, what they should expect here or at least uh, based on what has happened so far this year what we should expect obviously florida state is a very tough team to predict <laughs> at times the spread on this game is Ten and a half, and the over/under is sixty. And uh, both teams come in with a lot of losses combined. I, look, just off the top, there's some meaning to this game, and and the meaning is this: Florida State. We we had a conversation a couple of months ago, maybe a couple weeks ago, rather. When should, when should Florida State start playing for next year? Right. When do you not tighten up the rotation of receivers and you start playing a lot more guys and you know start playing a lot more backs and and maybe start playing other quarterbacks and and all that kind of stuff, and, and maybe play more young guys at certain spots. And When do you start doing that? Well, you start doing that if you lose this ballgame. Because if you lose this ballgame, you, you are not going to make a bowl. I, I, I would put the chance that you actually could win three out of the final five at, what, like 3%, 5%. You, you, you have to have this game to make, to make a bowl game. And, and thus, that's why there's, there's such an importance on it. Florida State is coming off a bye in which there's, you know, not not really a traditional bye. They had a hurricane. You know, some guys' homes were destroyed. I, I saw it today that Florida State, uh, their fans raised, gosh, I mean, what, I don't know if it hit the goal yet, but probably pretty soon, seventy five grand for uh, for Janarius Robinson uh, and his family to rebuild their home in Panama City. And we, we, we certainly send our love to Janarius. And, and we've always been a nice kid to talk to and, and, and watch play. The Florida State only had two practices, you know, over the bye week, so they're 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 rested. But I don't know how how sharp they are. Yeah, it's a it's a good uh, point of reference that it was not uh, not your traditional bye week, and certainly a lot of kids uh, distracted and a lot of things going on throughout the the entirety of the Panhandle, and really. Uh, not to get sidetracked, but like my dad uh, lives in Southside Virginia, or par- partially lives in Southside Virginia. There was a massive, massive flooding that that storm caused, and I'm not like taking away or, or trying to undermine the damage that was done to the Panhandle, but that thing was a was a uh, a wild force throughout its existence, and there's there's massive amounts of flooding just in kind of South Central Virginia caused by that thing. So uh, a big swath of uh, damage done but um, both of these teams coming off a bye week very much kind of a point of reference as both of them move into their second half of the season Uh, Wake Forest is coming off uh, an expected pretty humiliating loss to Clemson and uh, interesting to see how they bounce back and and what what they look like it's not a particular team that's going to blow you away as far as the talent on the roster and their defense is poor just to be blatant uh, or be the real upfront and honest about it, but uh, not necessarily a game that I think Florida State fans or, or certainly people within the program should expect to just kind of come in and, and walk through either uh, everything on the schedule is a challenge, and this game is uh, is probably setting up to be a little bit more of a challenge than people may think. I mean, there is no team in, in the ACC that this Florida State team should think that it, it is a walk-in-the-park type win. Just 
just know. Let's start, you're right, with, with their offense for, or FSU's defense. Florida State's defense, uh, 24th in the nation. Been a very good defense this year. Wake's, Wake's offense, uh, I believe, in the 70s or so. They, they're they a different offense, right? Like Some of the stuff that, that they do, you would think, oh, wow, they're, they're pretty good. But then you look at their overall stuff, and, and that's really not true. They are very much what they ran last year. So if you guys watched last year's game, you'll, you'll be familiar with this. Uh, but it's a very wide-open spread offense. That's going to be 11 personnel, which is three receivers, one tight end, one running back. Um, They're very RPO heavy, and that doesn't mean like run the quarterback a ton, although they do that as well. But a lot of it is keep the ball in the running back's belly for a long time, see what the linebackers do, and either leave it in there or or pull it and try and throw it quickly over their heads. Because of that, Florida State's going to have to really vary its looks, Andrew. Uh, And then they they take and they they, they combine that with an extremely fast tempo. I didn't didn't realize this until I started looking up the data. You know they are the number one tempo team in the nation. They uh they are surprising as as far as how many snaps they get off. Now, uh, it may not be something where you look back and you see a ton of stats, but they you know they want to go. And uh, you're right, they are particularly good at at kind of playing off the mesh point. And uh, quarterback has some some work to do, but is uh can provide a lot of eye distractions and and can really make you. Uh, as a defender, make you wonder if you're if you're seeing what you think you are. Absolutely, um, and of course, Florida State's linebackers are not particularly good uh, compared to the rest of the defense, especially, and, and so that will be a, a challenge. The other thing they do, which is unique, and this is what I'm talking about, like if Florida State's players are kind of like, oh, we, we got this game in the bag, it's Wake. They're, they're really mistaken, and they shouldn't think that because last year they barely beat this team. Right? It, you know, it was. I forgot. It was the last I mean, obviously, thing. I remember the game, but I, I forgot that we had to throw it to a uh, uh, basically an NFL wide receiver who couldn't move his arms above his body, who happened to just get kind of box the defender out as he ran down the field, and we had a fortuitous angle for Blackman to throw it to. I, I forgot that that game was. Uh, was as close as it was. And, uh, yeah, certainly not anything that uh, anybody within this program should think is, is going to be something that will come easy on Saturday. The other thing I think that they really do here a lot, they run the heck out of some draws. And when they get into passing downs, they really don't try to pass. That They are like top ten in the nation in terms of how often they take and run a draw, you know, run a QB draw, run a running back draw you know, hand it off to a receiver. If it's second and eight, if it's third and five, third and six, expect some kind of draw. And then they will certainly go for it on fourth down as well as, as the numbers dictate. Not perfectly. Certainly they, they've, they've done some some kind of questionable decisions at times this year. But, uh, but yeah, they really make a, a concerted effort, especially on second and long, to, to try to get back to third and manageable, to try to get to a fourth and short. So Florida State, I'm going to be interested to see how they blitz in this game, right? They're going to have to blitz some, uh, but at the same time, you know, you, you want to kind of be conscious of when you do it. And, and I want to see, okay, Wake's going to hit some of these. We know they will, but can, when they hit them, are they, you know, are they first downs but not touchdown? Are, are they not super long plays? So we'll have to see that as well. They have struggled to create explosive plays. 105th in the nation in explosiveness. They're 75th in efficiency, but. Uh, 105th in the nation explosiveness is, is pretty bad. You know, maybe part of that at the beginning was the fact they have a, a true freshman quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. Sam Hartman is a is the true freshman Wake uh, quarterback. He kind of he kind of fits in the mold of past Wake quarterbacks when you look at him. Uh, had a real real impressive game against uh, Tulane as far as statistically, he came pretty close to throwing for uh, 400 yards and has kind of since. Uh, come back to average where he's throwing kind of between 240 and 220 a game with a with a pretty notable exception against uh against Clemson there which is to be expected but uh, he's a, a low completion rate kind of high uh high yards when they do complete it uh he's not necessarily the easiest guy to uh to get uh, as far as a defensive end uh not a guy that takes a ton of sacks and not necessarily a guy that's easy to uh, take down when you do get back there and maybe get a hand on him but he is definitely a step down from what they had last year. The, the, the kid that Wake had last year was a huge pain. I mean, that, that guy was was really good. This kid is literally a kid. He's not as good. Uh, and and that, that's a large reason why Wake has taken a step back this year. But they are still pretty good at running back. I, I will give them that. 
So Cade Carney is the uh, the first name that uh, the Florida State fans would want to familiarize themselves if uh, if they're not already aware of him. Uh, kind of a low center of gravity, squatty running back. He's uh, kind of 5'10", 220, somewhere in that area. Uh, real good at getting positive yardage. It's, it's rare that you, uh, even Clemson, have had a hard time, you know, getting a lot of tackles for uh for loss against him a guy that uh, keeps wake in kind of manageable down a distance and uh a guy that will be a um uh somebody that florida state fans will see a lot and kind of does a good job of uh of masking some of the deficiencies that they have along their offensive line he, he seems to fit what they do pretty well you know like the pieces fit together somewhat there he doesn't hit explosive runs very often which is not surprising because if you're 510 220 and you play at wake you probably don't also have world-class speed and if your name is kate carney you know obviously hartman by the way the the quarterback is a pretty decent rusher about nine carries a game for for 60 yards a game so something to watch and then we got to deal with one of the best best receivers in the acc absolutely greg dortch is uh you know yes he does play for Wake Forest, and I know people will immediately be kind of skeptical to hear uh, that they may have one of the better skill players in the league. He's contributed to more catches than the rest of uh, Wake's uh, Wake's wide receivers combined. He's uh, a guy that they can kind of match up as they want in uh, different positions. You'll see him out wide. You'll see him in the slot. Uh, you'll see him do a lot of things to uh, try to get him in the best place possible, and uh, wouldn't shock me at all to see that trend continue with a uh, Florida State secondary that has had uh, had some questions to ask of itself at times this year. Yeah, they, they know that he is their stud, and they get him the ball a ton. Jet sweeps, reverses, screens over the middle, and you're right, man. They do line him up in the slot, and that is a that's got to be a concern if you're Florida State because Florida State has had a little bit of issue this year at times with some slot receivers because they're going to match it up on linebackers and safeties as opposed to corners. So that is going to be a player to watch. You've got. Got to know where Greg Dorch is on the field. There are other receivers so far this year, nothing special. Tight end, uh, Sage Surratt, not bad. I mean, he's probably he's a decent tight end. I'm not going to tell you all he's, he's a special player or anything like that, but, but he's decent. Wake's offense, like, it looks like a lot's going on, you know, and they, they might score a lot of points, but it's not necessarily a lot of points per possession. Right, like Wake operates at such a fast tempo, or at least they have so far this year. I mean, this might be a 15-16 possession ball game, and and if if each side gets gets sixteen or gosh, even seventeen possessions, you know, if you get sixteen possessions and you score thirty points, that's actually not a very good good job by you. I mean, that's like what one point eight per possession, but by the traditional metrics, the, the yards and the points, it'll look like a whole lot. What they need to do, I, I, I think, against this Wake team, obviously, you got to you got to dominate up front, right? Like you can't have a, a big time letdown game for Miami in terms of intensity level, and I don't think they'll have the same intensity level that they did against Miami. But you need to to at least play well up up front to where you do get Wake in a lot in a lot of you know dis, disadvantageous down distance situations, right? You want to have the leverage as the defense, and yes, we know Wake will try to to recapture that leverage. By running the you know, running a bunch of draws and, and whatnot uh, on on second long, but that's okay because those get them back into more of a safe third down distance. But they're not really hitting explosive plays with those, or at least they shouldn't be. That's basically Wake, Wake's way of acknowledging, hey, if we got to throw on second long, third and long, we're really screwed, and, and so we're going to try to get back to, to something that, that's sort of manageable by by maybe making you think we're going to pass and end up running it. But it all it all starts with uh, with, with winning on first down because if you get Wake behind the change, that they are in trouble. You want to move to the other side of the ball, bud? Yeah, I think that's fine. Before we do that, we'll thank our friends at uh, For the Table Restaurant Group. Uh, we talked about uh, last week, just or a couple days ago, rather, how much they uh, have done a fantastic job of kind of authentically weaving themselves into uh, into the community at large, and certainly the kind of broader experience that is being a Florida State fan. Uh, we'll just kind of reiterate that point tonight. Uh, fantastic people for Bud and I to, to work with. Uh, would be impossible for us to find an organization that's more behind Florida State athletics as a whole. And uh, 
it's just very much a very real and tangible part of the the Tallahassee community and uh, again they're going to be fine and it's a very successful operation but uh, when you're a business and you're closed for four or five days that's not necessarily uh, numbers that average very well and if you have an opportunity uh, to support the people that support the Nullcast, particularly uh, if you have an opportunity in the next couple of weeks to uh, to thank Madison Social or Centrale or Township for the uh, years of support that they've given us, it would be uh, greatly appreciated. And and uh, Bud and I would uh, would appreciate the the business that you can provide to those that have uh, meant uh, an awful lot to us and an awful lot to kind of the evolution of the podcast. That's right, man. Matt and his crew do a fantastic job. They're a great business, and, and obviously Noel owned and, and uh, supported by Knowles. And if you're in town, certainly do your part, or, or maybe go online madisonsocial.com and pick up a uh, pick up a t-shirt or a hat if that's more of your jam or, or if you can't get to Tallahassee. But if you're there this weekend for the Wake Forest game, stop in, man. Have, have a beer, have a great burger, you know, have, have some awesome, awesome nachos or, or, or really good salad. And, uh, you know, just depending on your, your health choice there. And, uh, and, and let them know the Nolcast sent you. Absolutely. A pretzel at Township's always a, a fantastic option as well. But uh... Also... The, the breakfast sandwich at Township is really good. Like, especially if you are somewhat hungover and then have to host like a like a podcast meetup. If your wife happens to order one of those for you and you wolf that thing down, it is really, really clutch. And it's, it's very good. Well, we'll, uh, we'll remember that for any, any hypotheticals that may present themselves later on down the road. All right. Florida State's offense versus Wake's defense. Uh, this is... Uh, not exactly a, a matchup of two statistical giants, I'll put it that way. Uh, Florida State's offense has been disappointing. Uh, we've chronicled that at a at a level that uh, people would be familiar with if they've listened to previous episodes. And Wake Forest defense, by uh, many metrics, is, is probably the worst unit in the conference and maybe the worst unit the Florida State's seen so far. So not exactly like two, uh, you know, two pieces of strength from, uh, from the two programs are going to clash together on Saturday. You ever watch the video that this guy films his neighbors fighting each other with brooms? I haven't seen that video, but it, it sounds like something that <laughs> I, will, YouTube, I will make an effort to watch as soon as we get done it's, recording. It, it, it's titled this, and this is insensitive, but it says, Crackhead Neighbors Fight with Brooms. <laughs> and I really just immediately thought, broom fight. Like, this is, the, the like, Florida State's offense and Wake's defense are like, it's hard to get a, a there are very few teams in the Power Five who could match up a worse offense against against a worse defense. And, and Wake's defense is bad. It's actually a little bit better in the rating system than Florida State's offense uh, so far, although if you pull up their page and, and on Bill Connolly's stat profiles, and the, the good things are coded in red and the bad things are coded in green. This is like like you just took a bucket of paint and just, just poured red paint all over your computer screen because it, it's just almost all red. There's not a lot of good uh, going on here. But we'll give you the rundown anyway, because that's what we do on the old cast. They run a pretty standard 4-2-5 defense. They play a bend-don't-break style of defense, but they do a lot of breaking. It's weird. Like They are number one in the nation in terms of uh, allowing completion percentage. And by number one, I mean like the worst in the nation. They are allowing I think like 66% of opposing passes to be completed, which is really high, especially when you face offenses like Rice and uh, – Tulane, who are not very good passing offenses at all. So that is something to watch out for. But they do have some players up front who are okay. I mean, they not great, but against Florida State, we kind of highlight this every week, like which opposing defensive lineman will look great against Florida State's offensive line. So uh, two candidates for this week are defensive end uh, Carlos Basham or their defensive tackle Willie Yarby. Uh, both of them are good players in their own right both of them have the ability to be disruptive and play on the other side of the line of scrimmage and unfortunately if you project uh what these two might do against florida state's offensive line a uh a little bit of a a new uh mix mix up that we'll circle to here momentarily as far as what that might look like but regardless of the combination of pieces that get put out there uh the offensive line is going to be the offensive line and uh these two young men may may have an opportunity to put themselves a little bit of draft tape as uh, as many other defenders have done so far this year opportunity of a lifetime and then when they're selling insurance later on in life they'll be like look man this is, after this Florida State yeah, game I thought yeah, I was going to go this is pro. the YouTube video that they'll probably show their daughter's girl uh, boyfriend at some point in time be like hey 
I was pretty pretty good defensive uh, college football player. If you don't believe me, look at uh, look at this Florida State film I put together. Impressive. And the kid will be like, Florida State, wow. And the dad's got his thumb over what year it was because everybody will remember 2018 as, as the one year you can really get Florida State like that. <laughs> By the time these kids, these guys have kids, we're old to date. We'll probably have like holograms embedded in our brains and stuff. So you know, all right. Man, you imagine that the Noel cast just like just piped, piped in. Skull. Yeah, we there'll be no. No more questions about podcast providers. It'll just be uh, it'll be there when you wake up, and you'll have the option to listen to it. Our demographic uh, data will be great. Yeah, we will we'll we will exactly. be able to talk to some sponsors, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, here's some things Wake does. They don't really stop the run. Uh, they're 98th in terms of uh, run defense this year. That is the combination of uh, run explosiveness and run efficiency. So 98th stopping the run. That's not real good. One of the worst in the Power Five. Obviously, Clemson got them for, I think it was 470 on the ground uh, last week. And Florida State's not near the team Clemson is this year up front. But you got to think Florida State has a good good uh, shot at staying committed to the run in this game. And here's a bonus for you. Check this out. If Florida State, let's say they run for like one yard and then one and a half yards, right? And they're in third and seven and a half. They will maybe have some time to drop back and pass because, I don't know if you know this, Wake Forest is actually 100 first nationally in passing down sack rate. They don't seem to get to the quarterback uh, much at all. Now, granted, I say all this stuff with a huge caveat that some of these things we've pinpointed in previous game previews have just not mattered a lick, right? Because Florida State, uh, their ability to do different things kind of exceeds all knowledge and bounds. But you got to feel pretty good about that, right? Like, hey, this is the team you can stay committed to run to, and if you have to drop back and pass, on third down and longer, which is something Francois does all right, you might actually get time to throw it. So that's cool. They do seem to be better as a defense overall against the pass, um, but their sack rate's not super high. It'll be interesting. <clears throat> I think you make up a real good point that there's been times where we've kind of projected units to maybe not be able to do things, and then within 10 minutes of a game, been like, hmm, well, they may have more success against this offense than we first anticipated. So uh, the defensive line, something we'll we'll look at and try to make sense of. Again, uh, Yarby and Basham are two people to have in the back of your mind as you go to Saturday. But we'll move a little bit to the second level of Wake's defense. Uh, their linebackers are okay. Like we said, there's nothing particularly dynamic or special about this unit overall. Justin Sneed is probably uh, – probably the first name that will stand out on the roster he's a he's a good you know he's a bcs level uh linebacker with the kind of the physical dimensions to match and is uh probably their most consistent tackler on the defense yeah i'd like to see florida state try to isolate him in space i I do think he's a good tackler that they try to funnel a lot a lot of backs and 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 run plays to him but i want to see him maybe maybe try to guard mckitty in space or or upshur whoever they end up playing at tight end, I know a lot of guys have rotated in and out this week in practice at the tight end spot. But I, I you know, maybe maybe make him make him run sideline to sideline, see how well he does does in that, that guard. This defense doesn't seem like it has a whole lot of talent. So if you're Florida State, you, you should be able to move the football against this group. If you don't, it, it's going to be very disappointing. I will say their secondary is it's pretty veteran at least, right? I mean, they're not. They're not lacking for veteran presence. It's entirely third, fourth, and fifth-year players. It doesn't necessarily mean they're good players or they're future NFL guys, but they got some. They're 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 decent. Like I don't think they're that bad. Clemson skews their stats a little bit because Clemson beat them sixty-three to three, which is you know pretty pretty good score if you're the Tigers. And I don't think Florida State will do that. But I am fairly confident that Florida State will score score points in this game. Let's hope so. It'd be it'd be problematic if if Florida State can't put points on the board uh, against this defense. Like you said, anybody's numbers are going to be skewed after playing Clemson, but uh, still, uh, we've played enough games to have uh, have a decent understanding as to what units are. And, and like we said at the beginning, this is uh, one of the poor defensive uh, defensive units that Florida State will go up against overall. Uh, Reference this a second ago, and I know there's a, a article on Tomahawk. Uh, published, I think, earlier today or yesterday about the uh, offensive line and some of the pieces that may be moving around. Uh, why don't we go ahead and talk real briefly about what that unit might look like and how that unit might match up with uh, some of the players that we just mentioned from Wake's defensive line. It's been very, uh, very, very mixed and match this week at practice, I, I think, due to injury, although they've been kind of mum on it. You know, the, the one day you had Cole Minshew snapping 
And then the next day you had him playing like right tackle. And then the, the next day it was back to like Brady Scott and Derek Kelly as your normal alignment. We did hear that Landon Dickerson, uh, Taggart, finally acknowledged that, you know, hey, Dickerson might not be back this year. And that that's kind of what I'm expecting um, just from the vibe I get. Nobody's told me for sure that, that he's not coming back this year. But I, I don't – at this point I would not expect him uh, back this year. You know, is is Mike Arnold going to be a starter there? Is is Baby on Johnson going to be starting at guard? I know he played some guard this week in practice. We just don't know, man. And, and we're recording this Wednesday night, which is one day earlier than we typically record it. So there's a little bit less certainty there. But uh, but still, this is uh, this is a high degree of uncertainty for an offensive line that has really struggled this year by anybody's standard. And and this is this could be the seventh different starting offensive line combination in seven games, which I don't think any team in the country can come close uh, to claiming that. Sounds like it. Uh, it almost certainly be that. Can't blame them for trying to mix things up. Trying to find maybe a, you know, look. There's no combination that's all of a sudden going to turn this into a really good offensive line. There's no combination that's going to turn this into a. Uh, uh, unfortunately, probably not an adequate line, uh, but maybe there's a couple pieces that you could put uh, and would give other players opportunities who uh, who have the physical ability to perform who haven't otherwise done so. I don't know. I think ultimately this is maybe an exercise in futility with, uh, with the pieces that you have to work with, but I don't fault the coaches at all and would be very interested to see if uh, – if maybe they didn't stumble upon some kind of pairing that can give you a little bit more of a consistent look up front. Yeah, man, absolutely. I, I don't know what that would be, but I, it's it's Wake, right? And, and this is the last time this year we could say this. Like, this is a team you should absolutely expect to put up points against. The next five are going to be somewhere between a struggle and just probably getting your doors blown off. This is the one you got to have, and then you got to find a way to pull two more if you want to make a bowl game. But I think they'll be able to score points here. You, you want to go to uh, to predictions, and then we'll go some uh, some questions. Yeah, we'll go to predictions. Uh, but I think I went first, or I went last uh, last time, so I'll go first here. I like Florida State to win here. Uh, I'm not maybe quite as uh, as confident as to how many points either of these teams will put up. I'm expecting maybe somewhere in the area of like a uh, 27 to 21 Florida State win. All right, so that is a. Oh, so you like the under? Pretty I, uh, I like the under. Yeah. I mean, I know uh, that Wake likes to, you know, likes to try to play as much as possible. I, I just don't know that either of these units are going to find a ton of success, uh, regardless of how many snaps they sneak in. Twenty-seven to twenty-one played at that pace is going to be an ugly, an game ugly to watch. That is like ugly a, game. That is I'm not anticipating a ton uh, of three and outs. A lovely, a lovely <laughs> game to talk about on Saturday. No, I'm not. All right, I'm going to go Florida State 36-30. That, that's a, a six-point margin for me. I, I Again, I don't think Wake Forest offense is good. I just think they get so many at-bats, you know. Uh, and it's not like Florida State's offense is real adept at holding the ball for long periods of time. So I think you really could get – you might have like a 17-possession like a game here, which is going to be marvelous to do, do the Florida State film review when we have to – analyze, you know, 85 plays aside at three and a half yards of play. I think Florida State gets the win. I, I don't – if they blow a wake out, I'll, I'll be I'll be pleasantly surprised at this point. I, I think this will be a win they are going to have to fight for. They're, they're just not very good right now, uh, in, in my opinion. So we kind of have similar predictions as far as the margin, just different ways in which we've arrived at it. Hopefully it's a, it's a, a win that we're talking about on Saturday. Hopefully it's a program that still has a – you know, bowl aspirations, and uh, hopefully it's a program that's not talking about, uh, you know, 2019 in the middle of October. So we will uh, look forward to, or I'll look forward to doing a uh, instant reaction on Saturday, and, and then obviously we'll be back at the uh, beginning of next week to uh, kind of get back into our normal flow of things. Uh, we referenced this at the beginning of the podcast. There were some aspects from last week's or uh, previous in the week, the mailbag show that we did. Uh, that we just weren't able to get to all of the questions. Still tonight, won't be able to get to all of the questions, uh, but we'll do our best to uh, get to some of the other ones that we had circled on our sheet and uh, just give our opinion as to uh, some of the some of the uh, ideas and thoughts that were thrown our way over the past couple of weeks. But first, let's thank our, our second sponsor uh, of the night. That's Resolution Home Loans. Resolution is a great loan company. They've sponsored us now for yet another season. 
And uh, Ingram, I think we are closing in on our 10th loan they've done with us. So uh, 10 loans by Nolcast listeners is really impressive. I was talking to Shannon today, and uh, he said he, he was uh, he was helping this woman finish up her loan in uh, the Orlando area. So, so very excited to hear about that. If that's you, by the way, once you finish up, you, you got to email us for a T-shirt. We, we, we have T-shirts to send out uh, for free to anybody who gets a loan. Now, granted, that's a small consolation for getting a loan, <laughs> but it's pretty cool, you know. It is cool. And, we uh, actually have two T-shirts. We have a second a second T-shirt in the mix. Double T-shirts. Double T-shirts. So go make that home purchase today, folks. We need a T-shirt cannon <laughs> that we can, like, shoot T-shirts out at, at the next Nullcast event. Or, like, a T-shirt, like, shoulder-mounted bazooka. You know, that'd be really You've cool. seen the uh, video of the Colorado mascot who uh, inadvertently shoots himself in the nether regions uh, with a T-shirt gun recently. No, but now uh, I have something. Oh, to it, it is—it's quite funny. They brought out the—they uh, <laughs> brought out the injury cart for him. It was—it wasn't just like a whoopsie. I happened to shoot myself below the belt. There, it was a rough one for old uh, old Buffalo. If you think about the propulsion required to shoot a T-shirt like fifty or seventy rows up, there's a lot of explosion needed because like there's not much weight to those T-shirts. You know what I mean? Like it won't—it won't carry very far if you just right. Like, yeah. Ball up, ball up a T-shirt and try and throw it across your living room. It's not that easy. And I know they're, they're tightly packed and whatnot, but still. You can reach Resolution Home Loans, 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. Much better at helping you with, with uh, home loans than T-shirt guns, I think, unless they got one and we want we want to use that thing. You can also go to FSUHomeLoans.com. That's FSUHomeLoans.com. Chad and Shannon, a, a proud NOL-owned business, will, will hook you up with the best possible mortgage for you keep you informed throughout the entire process and get it done quickly with our almost home program. Maybe one of the quickest in the business. So with that, let's get into some, uh, some questions and we'll get out of here on, on this fine Wednesday night. All right, bud. This next question is regarding the quarterback situation. Even if 12 remains the starter this season, do you think he's back next year? Not because he's going pro, but because he's pushed out. I really feel like how will be given all the chances to start, should he be uh, signing with Florida State? Okay, uh, I, you've been all, you've been all over this. I, I think since the summer. So you want to take this one because I I think I agree. With yeah. You. Well, first of all, this program's not really in a place to push anybody out at the quarterback position. So having said that, I'm now going to totally contradict myself and say that yes, I I would be pretty surprised if Francois's back. It's just not. And not a good fit is kind of a simplistic and too cliche of a way to describe uh, my opinion of that. But I think DeAndre may just be in a place where um, he's not going to go play in the NFL. He maybe thinks he has a chance to go play in Canada or something like that. There may just be an opportunity for him to be a professional and play in football uh, that isn't necessarily on Sundays at, you know, 1, 4, or 8 o'clock at night. I don't know that he's... uh, and, and I'm not. This is not a knock on the kid or knocking his character or anything like that. I just don't know that he's a great fit uh, for college, and he's a great fit for you know some of the uh, the things that uh, various uh, people or uh, products of institutions can kind of hold over his head. So for me, I'd be surprised if he's back next year and he's your quarterback starter. Now let me ask you a question: Would you be more shocked than surprised, or more surprised than shocked? I mean, what would be a better word to describe if I told you DeAndre was back next year? Um, I would be more surprised than shocked. I think that's where I am, too. There's one other option, by the way. He could grad transfer somewhere, right? If, if he has his degree, and I, I, he's got to be close to it, right? Um, he, he's not dumb. You know, so assuming that, that, that he passes his classes and, and he's going to get his degree, he easily could grad transfer somewhere that, that fits maybe what he does a little bit better. The main reason why I don't think he's back next year is because he doesn't really seem to be picking up the offense. And I don't have any reason to believe that Walt Bell and Willie Taggart can't teach the offense. You know, they've done it successfully at many other stops. And it's these are concepts, like the, the, these read concepts, that pretty much every college football offense in the nation is using. Hell, they're even using them in the NFL if you watch that great game, uh, Kansas City versus New England, on, uh, on a Monday night or Sunday night, whatever that was. This is something that maybe some kids just don't get very well, and you need to go to a place that, that doesn't ask you to do that. This offense is certainly going to ask you to do that, and it has to. And so far, he's not been able to do that. And as we discussed you know, previously, there's just a certain number of plays per game that are just absolutely dead, not because somebody got physically whipped or not because somebody made a great play, 
on the on the opposition, but simply because the quarterback's not making the right read. So, yeah, I, I would be surprised if he was uh, if he was here next year. We've obviously discussed why won't they go to Blackman. I don't know that Blackman has really shown a whole lot in practice that shows he's better. But there's also the, the equation of if he gets plugged in, then does Francois even stay around for the end of the season? I would not surprise me if he just bolts, you know, or, or maybe just goes to class but doesn't really do the football stuff anymore. The questioner further asks, I really feel like Hal will get all the chances to over should he sign with FSU. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I, I, I think that uh, if it's at all close, they're going to go with Sam Hal, And I would because that, 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 that kid's your future based on your plans right now. I think next year the gap has to be really big between Hal and somebody else for, for Hal not to be the starter. What position group have you been most impressed with from 2017 to this year, and which group has regressed the most? Uh, for purposes of conversation, we are taking the offensive line out of, uh, out of this question. Well, I can give you a couple that have regressed. I feel like running backs have regressed a little bit. Quarterback, maybe? Offensive line is one where, I mean, that's the clear answer. But he, but but the question is, we can't pick that one. Or what would you go with? I would disagree with you a little bit on running backs. I mean, Cam certainly not having the year that anybody expected. I, I argue with Patrick looks with, better. Patrick looks yeah. really good. He does. Um, uh, although I've always you know I've always been a fan of Jacques, both the person and and the player. He's uh, has some limitations, but on the whole, I, you know, like like your chances when you get him the ball. You know, I, I don't. Know. There's a lot of rumors about Cam Akers, and uh, there's a lot of discussion kind of within the broader fan base. I don't, I don't think the problem is Cam Akers. Let me put it that way. That kid is exceptionally talented. I think uh, this year he's been victimized far too frequently by a quarterback that puts the ball in his belly when he shouldn't have it. Uh, and and maybe more frequently doesn't put the ball in his belly when he should. I don't think Cam is the issue, but certainly the level of play has has regressed, and it certainly was not lived up to the level that preseason expectations would uh, would make you think they would be. I don't know that this unit has regressed, uh, but the defensive backfield has not been what I thought it would be at all. Uh, it, it's been pretty significantly off of of what my projections were heading into the year and that's not something that i would have expected at all i I think that's fair um they've not made like as many splash plays as i thought they would make i do think that they have done a better job communicating this year than last year like we have not seen as many guys running wide open you know that that were just now maybe that's to come i completely agree we also don't have we don't see nearly as many people that are practicing like like the left side of your secondary is practicing one concept and the right side is practicing a whole nother. Uh, that we have not seen, and, and that's been a, a very nice change up. Uh, very much coordinated. Yeah. The defense does, as you brought up last year during one podcast or another, the defense does seem to have some, some coordination to it, where maybe last year we had some coordination issues of the defense. Yeah, and this year it, it, uh, it does look better. By the way, defensive backs so far at Tennessee playing all right. So maybe you know, maybe Charles just didn't need to be a DC or something, or, or needed a reset. I, I don't know. Um, although, granted, you know, there's also some guys helping uh, there at Tennessee who, who weren't here last year. The biggest damn it, man! UF at six and one. Uh, the other guys having success, or Oregon fans laughing at us as they have a great year. The other guy is, and I don't know why I made this. Plural. It's supposed to be the other guy, meaning uh, how Jimbo's done at College Station so far. Oh, okay. Well, I think the answer is clearly Florida. Now, I can understand people's frustrations that Jimbo's having success so far at A&M. The guy's a really good coach. He had worn out his welcome almost entirely his own fault in Tallahassee, and things were not going to get better. He had lost the locker room. He had lost the respect of his players uh, and of the administration and it was really a toxic situation of his own creation. And the idea that like the indoor facility or that the football only facility was what, what drove him away is nonsense. That was kind of just his excuse to put it out there. Uh, that's just not true. But I don't think anybody thought that if he got a change of scenery that he couldn't have success. It just wasn't going to happen anymore in Tallahassee. Oregon, look, they went like four and seven the year before Taggart took over. They were having a great year with with, with Justin Herbert uh, last year under Taggart until he got hurt. So far, Herbert stayed healthy. Oregon looks good. I like Mario Cristobal. I, you know, I like a couple guys on that staff. That, to me, that's not a damn it man at all. 
you know, like I don't know if Chris Paul is like a magic potion to, to, to keep Herbert healthy and, and Taggart didn't, but that's probably the difference. I, I still think Oregon will end up like 9-3. They're, they're underdogs this weekend at Washington State. Some of what they're doing is a little bit smoke and mirrors. If you look at it, like Bill Connolly's postgame win expectancy, they were under 50% against Washington, right? If Washington makes that field goal, we're thinking, man, you know, Oregon has really kind of choked away two games so far this year because they definitely choked away the, the, the Stanford game. They have to go, I think, to Utah and and to Washington State. So, you know, good chance that they end up 10-2, and 9-3 against a pretty cakewalk schedule. Florida's the answer. Yeah, Florida, Florida's, Florida, the answer. Florida, Florida's the Florida's definitely the answer that has the most uh, impact on Florida State's own well-being. I mean, I know people are going to point out uh, the Thibodeau situation, but what Oregon does has minimal impact on Florida State as a program. Minimal. Uh, at any time. Uh, A&M, sure, it'd be great to be able to point and laugh at Jimbo, and obviously he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way in his exit, but even that program, how that program does, doesn't really have any kind of impact on what Florida State's able to do. A successful UF is a is a problem for Florida State. Right, and, and because we know that staff is not a great recruiting staff, the, the, the Florida staff, but if, they, if you give them something to sell, you know they, they might be able to do uh, to do a better job than they otherwise would have been able to do with all the normal caveats that, look, year one success, unless it's way outside the, the normal bounds, is not typically something that, uh, that that dictates success or failure on a recruiting trail. Um, you know, Florida's also had a huge dose of luck so far when it, when it comes to turnovers. I'm, I'm trying to pull this up, but in turnover margin, I know they're like way, way up there. And I had noticed that people are like, Okay, at this point, it's not luck. Like, yeah, yeah, it is because we have thousands and thousands of data sets to say this is luck, right? You could have really bad turnover luck for one team for three or four years in a row, and it would still be luck because it's still it's football. It's an, it's inherently a small you know sample sport. I looked it up earlier, and, and they were really really close to the very top of the list. Four stays close to the very bottom of the list. If you reverse those things, for instance. Let's say that you kept all the offensive line injuries and, and all the other things and, and the decisions ma- decision making and the quality of play. You just flip flip the turnover lux. Is Florida three and three and Florida State six and one or five and one? I, I think probably. I mean, not necessarily, but but I think they're probably within a game of each other. I, I don't think there's like a three game split mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Florida's schedule, what remains, is not uh, super daunting, but uh, you know, the, certainly the Will Greer year that McElwain had in year one, they were doing fantastically well, and then that just totally stalled out, and they ended up losing a massive amount of mo- momentum from that season. It'll be uh, be very interesting to see how Florida closes and how they uh, how they deal with a uh, you know the UGA game coming up here and how they respond to that whether whether that's a positive outcome or not for them obviously they had the bye week this week but uh, UGA is is the uh, the Jacksonville meetup is uh, the week following and that in all likelihood I would still expect uh, Florida to take a loss there so uh, we'll we'll keep an eye uh, Ingram, on they've had they've had almost twice as many turnovers as expected turnovers mm-hmm. yeah yeah in terms of like in their they've favor. been very fortunate they have that'll work yeah they also deserve credit. I mean, like they look, they look legitimately good at times. You know, I, I would like to see what Florida State would look like. You know, if, if he, I thought it was telling the other day that, that Willie Taggart was asked, you know, like what's your biggest like thing that you didn't expect, or you know, he's like, I didn't expect to go three and three to start my first six games here, which is obviously kind of a kind of a smart aleck answer. But he also said, you know, but really, I I, I didn't expect. You know, we knew we couldn't have offensive line injuries, and and. I didn't expect like almost all of our bad, you know, bad injury luck to be clustered on the offensive line. I mean, it was just kind of the like the worst case, you know, shooting the missile into the exhaust port on the Death Star. You know, it's the one real weakness. You know, you had like big, big weakness, and then it happened. They knew it, and we knew it. Hell, we said it several times on the show. You can't get guys hurting offensive line, and that's what happened. How many years will it take to get an offensive line with the talent and depth needed to compete for an ACC title? It's a good question. Uh, I would say it'll take at least two uh, two recruiting cycles, and that includes uh, you know some of the some of the JUCO turnover that we spoke of on the on the previous podcast. Offensive line is not a position where there's a lot of quick fixes. I think they may have signed some guys last year that project well and have the ability to uh, 
to be a player, but uh, you need a you need a pretty significant turnover, and you need a lot of new bodies here. And I'm not sure you can accomplish that in one recruiting class. Yeah, I, I think that, I think that's right. I think two years probably accurate. Next year, the goal is just to get to competent, right? You know, can you be a top half ACC mm-hmm. team next year? You know, can can you can you get to a bowl game with a shot to win your ninth game of the year? You know, can you go eight and four in the regular season? Can can you do that? In order to do that, you're going to have to have a competent offensive line. I do think that Florida State's offensive line will be better next year, and I did not think that this year's would be. But I didn't think this year's would take such an enormous step back compared to 2017 either. Um, I don't think any of us did. But yeah, two probably makes sense. You know, two two more because that means the kids you sign in this coming class will be second year players in 2020. That doesn't mean you're going to win the league because God, in 2020 Clemson is going to have. Uh, third year Trevor Lawrence so good luck with that but uh, but it, it'll be possible certainly here's one kind of an interesting like kind of game theory thing if the expected point value of a drive is greater on offense than defense wouldn't you score the most by maximizing offensive possessions why would you ever defer to second half unless second second expected point possessions in offense is so great relative to first over some I think what the question is asking is like if if you know if it makes more sense to have, have the ball when, when you want to score, why would you not take the ball first? And the answer is because teams who get the ball in the second half get a, a an added possession. You know the, the the team that gets the ball first is going to have one is going to be plus one in possessions in the first half, and the team that gets the ball first in the second half is going to be plus one possessions in the second half. And so there's really no advantage, and that's why they do it that way. I think that's what the questioner was asking. We were, we were trying to figure that out before the uh, before the show. It makes sense. I mean, there's a there's a kind of a I don't know if old school is the right idea, uh, but there's a there's a mentality out there that's that says that if you think you have the dominant defense, uh, then you know there's no greater way, particularly if you're at home, than to go ahead and put that out there and start imposing your will on another team. But you know, basically, as you mentioned, it's a it's a fair system. Uh, you get. Uh, the same same shakes added on either side as far as the the number of possessions in theory. Although when you do defer to the second half, you you at least give your chance to, you give yourself a chance to have one additional possession that uh, the opposition might not have. The other idea with deferring to the second half is that if you have a manageable situation at the end of the first half, you can kind of double possession it there, uh, which a lot of coaches will play to and uh you know try to run out the first half uh in a manner that more or less leaves it exhausted and and uh nothing else other than the next time you walk out on the field the other team's walking out there uh to kick the ball back to you and and letting you start the second half with possession exactly right by the way something recruiting that we should have mentioned maybe last show you know auburn is really in 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 a bad place Mm -hmm. right now I mean, you have very respected Auburn people. Like, you know, last year when I was kind of sounding the alarm that, hey, there's something going on here more than just a bad season. Like, this isn't normal. Like, there's weird stuff going on within the program. Like, I think Jimbo's probably leaving back in September. There's some guys who, who are very plugged in at Auburn, like, like, like Brandon Marcello, who are kind of telling these national media folks, hey, you know, this whole idea that, like, Auburn would buy out Gus Malzahn, it's crazy, but it's not like that crazy, right? Like, like I'm just telling you guys, there's a lot of people who are really dissatisfied down here. And I've been in that spot before where you put something out and you know it's good because you're on the scene, man. You're, you're, you're the guy that's plugged in. And the national media from, you know, USA Today or New York Times or whoever laughs at it and like, yeah, yeah, right, you know, from their 10,000-foot their national perch. But, but they're not on the ground knowing it. And that's why I do try to, really keep abreast of what's going on in programs through, through their beat writers, especially the people who have proven to have good sources. And for him to say stuff like that, that that caught my mm-hmm. eye. But recruiting-wise, man, that could signal that there's some really bad things going on. And uh, Florida State's fighting you know, for guys like, like Will Putnam and George Pickens and, and, and guys like that against Auburn. They've actually run up against the Tigers for a number of kids this year. You know, Derek Hall as well. Mm-hmm. Just keep that in mind here. Auburn is not a lock to make a bowl game. If Auburn loses this weekend, they're only at four wins right now. They're going to beat Liberty. But they've got A&M and Ole Miss in back-to-back weeks here with a bye mixed in. 
Then they go Georgia, Liberty, Bama. They really got to win one of the next two to make a bowl game, unless you think they're going to beat Georgia or Alabama. And, and I, I don't. Not, those games are both on the road, by the way. That could be very interesting to watch. Auburn is probably going to end up going five and seven or six and six. I mean, obviously they've had some success for there, but I, I've never gotten a feeling that that's been a perfect fit uh, with Malzahn and Auburn. I, you know, you and I disagreed with some as to whether or not Auburn might have been Jimbo's uh, ideal situation that he had in the back of his mind throughout the events that played out last year. Uh, no reason for us to churn up that conversation again, but uh, I do completely agree with you i i don't think that that's something that is uh built for the long term that is a that is a program that historically florida state has always had a strong overlap in its uh in its recruiting circles so when you look at a map it makes pretty good sense as to why that would be and it is a it is a program that outside of uh, of the conference could you could make an argument that outside of the conference and outside of its own state uh, it may be the program that you know Florida State bumps up against the most, and, and could be as uh, as either a detrimental uh, or a, a positive impact on Florida State's recruiting uh, overall. So uh, something to look for and something to monitor. But uh, I think you you bring up a really good point about some of the things that have been kind of started to be publicly aired from within the within the Auburn camp itself. All right, and with that. The, uh, the crew will get you on on, uh, on, on uh, Saturday for their instant reaction, and I will be back joining you all on the normal uh, Monday night show, which comes out on Tuesday. So I look forward to uh, look forward to listening to the instant reaction, man. Hopefully, as I said, it's a uh, it's a, a victory over Wake Forest that we get to talk about on Saturday. Uh, hope you enjoy your time away, Bud. Uh, look forward to reconvening at the beginning of next week, uh, as we always do. Thank you to the listeners who have had an amazing amount of support recently. Uh, just thank you, as always. Uh, this is something that Bud and I have thoroughly enjoyed and have done for uh, damn near a decade now. But it's, uh, it's always something that's nice uh, to see that people... Uh, enjoy or engage with us not you know don't have to always tell us we're, you're right uh, it's just uh, nice to see people engage and kind of uh, experience you know part of their experience of being a Florida State fan is, is in some small way tied to uh, listening to the Nolcast. so thank you as always to everybody we look forward to doing these next week and uh, bud enjoy your time away and uh, we'll talk on Monday <laughs>